Our hope is that you enjoyed that, um, but more so that you would hear the advice they offered. You know, it, it would make a great book if we could encapsulate all that advice for, for newlyweds or for people that are struggling in their marriage. And, you know, we love listening to those stories, and we love hearing those pieces of advice when things are going good, but, but when things are hard or difficult or strained, sometimes those very pieces of advice that are so wise and so encouraging are the very last things that we want to implement or, or put into our marriage. You know, it's an interesting thing, this whole idea of love. As we continue on through this series, though, we're, we're looking at keys to making life better. And again, if you weren't here last week, it's this whole idea of, I keep asking people on the way out the door, how is life, how, how are things going? And, and just in general, you hear over and over different versions of, well, it could be better, you know? Or it's bad, or, it's, or it could be better. I mean, just over and over and over. Why? Because life is hard. But God is good. And so I started wondering, how can we make life better as Christians? I mean, how does God make life better for us? And so as we go through this series that we, we're going to talk today about, probably the most important one of them all, and it's this whole idea of love and the, love, the difference that love should be making in our life. In fact, as I went through the Bible, the Bible says certain things about love. One of the first things it says is that, that the Bible says is that love, without love, nothing else matters. I think if you think through that, there's some profundity in that. The Bible says that love shows that we really know God. The Bible also goes on to say that, that loving is the number one responsibility of a Christian. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul sorts, sort of sums this all up when he says this. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But we start asking, you know, what exactly is love? And I know it's Valentine's Day today, and so I know, you know, you've already gotten the Valentine's Day cards and the chocolates and the flowers, and you're planning to take your loved one out. And right now the guys are saying, Pastor, stop talking. And, and all the women are like, oh, no, keep going. Maybe you'll remember this year, all those kind of things. You know, but the reality is, as we talk about what is this thing called love, I ask you that today because I think love is one of the most misunderstood words in the English language. It's one of the most overused words in the world today. Because we use love for just about everything. I, I love tacos, I love football, I love God, I love my wife, and, and hopefully not in that order, okay? <laughs> but the reality is we refer to it to use in all kinds of different situations for all kinds of different things. And as a result of that, I think the word love has kind of developed a big misconception for a lot of people. For example, here's a couple of the most common misconceptions I hear about love over and over and over as I talk to people. One of the first things, that, or the first sentiments that's out there is this. Many people think that love is a feeling. And you see it on all the movies, all the Hallmark channels. It's the thing that Hollywood promotes the most. It's the thing that Valentine's Day cards seem to promote the most. They look at love as a feeling, as an ocean of emotion. They say, I'm in love. I have the sentimental knot in my stomach. And that means I'm in love. But no, you may have just had a bad pizza the night before. The reality is, now love creates feelings. I don't want to dismiss that. It absolutely does. But love in itself is not a feeling. For example, how many of you are always in love with your spouse? Show of hands. Now, it's Valentine's Day, so all the guys can't be up right now. But the reality, even if you would raise your hand, you'd be lying. We just, we just don't always do that one. Here's another one. Many people also think that love is uncontrollable. That's not true either, but we use phrases over and over, like I fell in love, or like we kind of just stumbled into it, like it was a mistake, like it was an accident. But therefore, we assume it's uncontrollable. And so we say stuff like this, I can't help it, I'm in love. Or maybe you even hear this more often, 
I just don't love them anymore. As if love is this uncontrollable thing that we can't do one way or the other. But if those two things are not, if those two things are not true about love, then what does the Bible say that is? There's two main things that the Bible says. First and foremost, it says that love is a choice. Paul even uses this in Colossians. He says, put on love. It's kind of like this imagery of getting dressed. In the morning, you have this opportunity to, to choose to get dressed or to undress, to what kinds of things that you put on. We also have this ability to choose our attitudes and our way we're going to act that day as we get up in the morning as well. And so the Bible, as Paul kind of talks about this, he says, put on love. And it's totally something that we, you, you can control your attitudes and, and the way you act and, and even the way you respond to people a lot more than you think you can. I just want to give you an example of this. You're just in the argument with somebody that you love, somebody that you care about. You're just finished yelling at them. And all of a sudden, the phone rings. And do you answer the phone like, what? No, you go, hello, how are you doing? You know, total shift in attitude, total shift in everything. You're able to do it in an instant because you can choose how you respond. So often we choose poorly as we go through life. There's another thing, too. It says that love is an action, the Bible does. The Bible says let's not just love in words or in language or in speech, but love with actions. In other words, love is something that we do. It's not something that we talk about. Love is more than a feeling. It's, it's more than a thought. You know, 16 times in the New Testament, the Bible says, love one another. Somebody asked Jesus one time, summarized the whole Bible, and he said this, love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the question is always, how do we do that? And the reason that both of those are difficult is because both of those have nothing to do with us. In other words, it's not about us. It's about God and loving him most. It's about others and loving them most. And we have this unique desire as sinners, as people, especially in America where it's all about us, we're... We want to make things all about us, where we become the chief and most important things in our life. And that's why being a disciple is so difficult, isn't it? Because God says, no, 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 it's not about you. It's about God, and it's about others. And boy, do we wrestle with that, and boy, is that difficult. And so this morning, I want to talk about four things that Scripture gives us to help us be better lovers, and maybe just since it's Valentine's Day, let me rephrase that, to become more loving people, okay, to develop a more loving lifestyle in our life, because God gives us a lot of things, and as we go through these, these different um, encouragements by God, I, I really encourage you to write down on the side something that, something that you would do in response to some of this wisdom that God gives, something that you would implement into those relationships in your life, especially with those that are closest to you to help show them love, especially on this Valentine's Day. And so let's go through this. One of the first ones that God gives us is simply this. It's this idea that we need to accept others unconditionally. The reason that's so important is because there's a lot of conditional love today. I'll give you a couple examples of this. In ministry, I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about friendships and different things like that, and I said, you know what's unique as a pastor, at least, is sometimes people become friends with the pastor and not with me. Does that make sense? And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. You see, over and over, I've developed friendships with people, and, and, and sometimes we'll go through life together and in, in, in church together, and, and, and there will become decisions that the church makes, or, or maybe even decisions that I've made, or, or different ideas and philosophy or direction for the church. And, and if I make one of those things that they don't like, the friendship's over. And I realize they were friends with the pastor and not friends with me. It's a conditional love. 
You see that in marriages all the time. Hey, you remember the vows that you used to see, used to see on the movies all the time or that we used to take all the time? I'll love you for richer or for poorer, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. There's a lot of conditional love that says, I will love you as long as things are going well. As long as we have money in the bank, as long as you're not sick, as long as it doesn't get too hard, I will love you. But the second something goes bad, relationship is destroyed. I even heard one guy, one guy said, my wife said she'd love me as long as I had hair. And so he keeps doing things trying to get hair on his head. It's the funniest thing. I'm hoping he's just kidding. But anyway, there's, a, there's conditional love, and, and, and our society is filled with it. And so one of God's encouragements is that we need to love others and accept others unconditionally. That's why Paul says in Romans 15, 7, he says this, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I mean, think about the way God just accepts you, loves you for who you are. And, and to be honest, not you guys, but most of us are just messes, you know, so that's an incredible love. But the thing is, is everybody needs acceptance because every, nobody's perfect. We all have faults and failures and weaknesses and foibles and, and, and hang-ups. We all need acceptance because we all fall in short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and nobody's perfect. But notice what, what it says is the basis of acceptance. It says we accept other people because Christ has accepted us. Jesus accepted people in spite of their problems. He was called a friend of sinners, and maybe that doesn't sound like such a big deal today, but it was a, a huge slur back in the day. He's a friend of sinners. If you want like a context for that, think about, oh, it just meant this, that he was hanging out with um, like pimps and addicts of those days just on his tax collector, social outcast. And if you want a context of that, pretend your pastor was hanging out with those people, and then you go, oh, and think of the judgment that comes with that. You know? And so it was a racial slur. It was a big deal. But the Bible says he was a friend of sinners. But he accepted people. He, he didn't approve of what they did, for sure, but, but he accepted people unconditionally. And I, I think there's a, a, I just want to emphasize this for a second. There's a difference between acceptance and approval that our society seems to have lost today. You can accept people without approving of their behavior. Every parent should get this at some level because we love our kids. We accept our kids even when they do dumb things. Is that fair? I want you, I'll give you a, a more visual example. Let's say you have an older kid and she comes home one day and she says, Dad, I, I want to be a homosexual. I want to live that lifestyle. Scripture says over and over, six times, in fact, that that's a sin and abomination of the Lord. We know it's wrong. Now, there's a temptation in that to throw the baby out with the bathwater, in this case, literally, to say, you're doing that, you're, you're no longer welcome in my home. There's also a, a tendency or a temptation in that of saying, we don't care about the sin anymore, we just love you. Both are wrong. We are to, to love that child. We are to accept them as part of our family, but we are not to approve of what they're doing. Does that make sense? And you can do both. As a parent, you should get this because you do it all the time. But there's temptations on both ends. One to minimize God's word, another to destroy the relationship. And God has called us to be more than that. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because as Christians... We tend to maximize other people's sins and minimize ourselves. So on the news, when you see Christians maximizing other people's sins, it destroys our witness to the world. The media eats it up. And you see people going against different ones, whether it be homosexuality or abortion or whatever it is, and they're almost spewing hatred. Christians are doing this. Instead of trying to love people to a better end, instead of trying to love people to Jesus so that they see his truth, we need to learn to accept people while not approving at the same time. It's so important. In Romans 12, 18, it goes like this. It says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Aren't you glad that first phrase is in there, if it is possible? Because have you ever thought it's like just impossible to live at peace with a certain person? And so it's there. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. Now, there are just people, people like ISIS, for example, that no matter how much you love them, how much you care about them, they still may want to kill you because you're a Christian. And so you can try as best you can to love them into the kingdom, but they still may end up shooting you, okay? So it says, as far as it depends on you. Why? Because there's just this reality, wherever two people get together, two or three people are gathered, that there can be disagreements, that there can be dissensions. In fact, every Sunday on communication cards, we'll get different comments. Maybe it's not every Sunday, but almost. And you'll get on the same Sunday, somebody saying, the, uh, the music was too loud, and somebody else says the music wasn't loud enough. It, it was too cold, or, or it wasn't cold enough, or the, the sermon was too long, or the sermon wasn't long enough, or we shouldn't have had a sermon today. Wh- whatever it is, you know, they put stuff down on these things. And we can disagree without being disagreeable. We can disagree and be agreeable if we can learn to accept each other unconditionally, if we can learn this concept of forgiveness or, or patience or, or just that everybody doesn't have to agree with us. God goes on and he gives us some other things too. He says, commit yourself personally. Why is this such a big deal? And it's because God says there's no such thing as love without commitment. Genuine love is based on personal commitment. In fact, in Romans 12, 10, it says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And that's a a pretty important phrase because I think commitment has lost a lot of value in our society in the last 50 years or more. We don't like it. We're afraid of commitment. And as a result, I don't want to commit to anything, any person, any program, any career, any relationship, any one church. I'm afraid of commitment. And you see this everywhere. And yet, Love is becoming personally committed to people that you love, God says. In Romans 12, 5, he goes on, he says, In Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so if you're a believer, right, he wants you to be in a family and to belong to everybody else who's a believer. And so if you say, you know, if that's just not my thing, that's not my business, God says if you're a believer, it absolutely is your business because he wants you to be part of his family, to be cared for, to have accountability within the family of Christ. People say, then, what's the big thing about, about membership? Well, membership simply means commitment. It's kind of the same thing. It's like the difference between living together and getting married, right? Whether you attend a church or whether you say, I'm committed, when you say, I'm committed to my life to Christ, you become a Christian. And when you commit your life to other people, you become a member of that local body. It's just saying that God says, when you commit to me, I, I've designed it. I've, I've ordered it in such a way that I want you to be encouraged by other Christians walking through life. Nobody can be a Lone Ranger Christian without just getting battered. We need the encouragement of others. We need the strength of others. We need to hear the truth that other people can bring us. We just need that. It was interesting. I was reading a study the other day, and it was just making this parallel. It says, just like more and more our society is living together before they get married, so too is this um, idea that I can go through life as a Christian without the church. And so there's a, there's a decrease in people committing to churches today. And then it was going on to say, just like people sometimes have multiple people that they're committed to in a relationship, and so they're committed to a lot of people. It's not uh, monogamy so much anymore. More and more people are going to four or five different churches at the same time, yet not committing to any one of them. It's an interesting phenomenon, but I, I bet some of us are doing the same thing. We'll, I'll go to one church for the children's program, and one church for the music, and one church for the message, and one church for something else. And, and so I'm going to a lot of different things without committing to anything. And, and that's a great consumeristic way to live life. It's awesome about the me, right? 
which is why we do this and this and this and this. It's the way you see relationships trending today more and more. But God says that love is about committing. It's about being there in the good and the bad times. It's about showing patience. It's about going through forgiveness. It's about family. And the reason we avoid family so much in so many different areas today is because we don't want that accountability. If things get too hard or too messy, we just want out. We want to evaporate into the mist. We don't want anybody calling us. We just want to disappear. But God says, I have a life to live for you to live that's better than that that goes through life with support and encouragement and people who care about you and will pray for you and will be there for you. He says there is no love without commitment. So I encourage you to find some place that you can become committed to, where you can become part of a family, where you can be accepted by others unconditionally, where you can commit yourselves personally. And I encourage you to find relationships to do the very same thing. I hear over and over, well, we just want to see if it's the right thing. If you want to destroy your marriage before it gets started, live together before you get married. It doubles your chance of divorce right from the get-go. It doesn't fix anything because it's always about commitment. He goes on and he gives us another one. Encourage others continually. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. He's saying build each other up. Why? Because there's three facts of life that you can count on with just about anybody. Fact number one, everybody has a hurt. Sometimes it's hidden, but everybody has a hurt. Everybody struggles. Fact number two, everybody needs encouragement because they all get discouraged from time to time. And fact number three, everybody needs a lift. You can count on whoever you're around needs encouragement, needs a lift. Everybody's having a tough time. And Christians of all people ought to have that reputation of that guy or that lady. And they're just encouragers. They care about how I'm doing. Because you just don't see that a whole lot in our world today. Even in your relationships, look at those and say, am I more of a discourager or an encourager to my spouse or to my kids? And think about the number of encouragers, just solid encouragers that you know in your life. I know they're just on one hand, maybe on one finger, and that's if you can even raise one of the fingers to suggest that you have an encourager in your life. I mean, the whole world is tearing us down Believers out of everybody ought to be people who build each other up and encourage each other in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says this, If you love someone, you will always believe in him and always expect the best of him. And so do you want to know how to change your mate or change your kids? Treat them the way you want them to become. Expect the best in them. We tend to live up to expectations, our expectations, those of others. And if people won't expect much of you, then you don't give them much in return. Think substitute teacher, okay? And how you acted in school with a substitute. See, love expects the best. You reinforce good behavior. It just goes, I mean, a pat on the back goes a whole lot further than a kick in the pants. And that's true with your spouse and it's true with your kids. And I'm not talking about taking away discipline. Discipline's really important. But we've got to learn to encourage and verbalize those things that people are doing that are good in life to reframe the way they look at themselves, to reframe the way they think that things are possible, to give them the best opportunities for life. We need to encourage people continually. And then he goes on to this last one. We need to learn to forgive others freely. This can be hard. Colossians 3.13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, there, there's two great marks of a Christian, of a believer. A genuine Christian, according to the Bible, is both giving and forgiving. 
that summarizes the life of Christ, in fact. Jesus gave all he had, and he forgave all he could. A genuine Christian, then, is giving and forgiving. Why? Because it's impossible to love one person while being resentful with another person at the same time. It's, it's just impossible. It's a divided heart. It's impossible to love the one person fully while you're being angry, while there's resentment in your heart towards somebody else. Bitterness divides the heart. It chokes love out of your system. Talk to so many men and ladies who've said, I, I just can't love my husband or my wife anymore. I, I don't love them anymore. And part of that reason often is a divided heart. They're still resentful against somebody in their past that they never let go of, right? They haven't let go of the resentment. They haven't forgiven them. They're resentful against a parent. And when that wife acts that certain way, they get resentful toward her. Or they're resentful toward a former mate or a brother or a sister or a former employee. And they got all this resentment built up in their heart and it skews how they can love people going forward. Which is why if you look at second marriages and third marriages and fourth marriages, the increase in divorce just shoots up dramatically with each one. Why? Because they still haven't forgiven the past. God says you cannot fully love one person when your heart is divided. And so as a result, you can't fully love your mate. And that's not fair to them. I recently read that one out of every three women and one out of every seven men will be abused in their lifetime. And that just means a lot of massive heartache out there. Some of you are still holding on to the past. And you're still allowing people to hurt you today, even though the person isn't there anymore is dumb because they can't hurt you anymore unless you let them unless you rehearse that pain over and over they can't touch you anymore they can't hurt you anymore and so there's only way one way that you can let go of the past it's hard but it's when you choose to forgive see not only does God call us to do it it's the healthiest thing that we can do to move forward to give up that resentment sometimes they don't deserve it but you do it to free yourself and by the way, if you forgive someone and they don't deserve it and they're not sorry, it's like, God says, like pouring salt on their wound, right? It's a it, bad day for them, right, when, when judgment comes. But the reality is it frees you to move forward in health. And if you said, I forgive you to someone and they don't receive it, you've still done everything that you can and you free yourself to live the future differently. It's one of the healthiest things that we can do for ourselves not to mention the other people and the other relationships that it can save in our life. And ultimately, this is all what love means. And in a very real way, what we experience every hour of every day from God. The Bible says this, that because of Jesus, God accepts us in spite of our blunders and sin. That he committed to us to be our father, to be our friend, to be our brother, to be our savior. That he sent the Holy Spirit in his absence to be our comforter and our encourager and our guide. And that again, because of Jesus, he forgives. He forgives us for everything. And he puts it behind him. My friends, he forgives because of the blood of Jesus. And having received that love for him, all Jesus does is he goes to us and says, okay, now that you know the way I love you, and it's complete, and it's perfect, and you are good, go and love others in the same way. Now, I know the things I talked about are difficult, and I know you have struggles with them, each one of those points that we just went through. And my encouragement this week is that you just write a note somewhere on that page and you pick one way that you can start loving the people in your life differently, better, so that life can get better for you. So that you can live life the way God wanted you to live it. So that you can experience the blessing that he has. And all God's people said...
Amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. We, we thank you for Valentine's Day. It's kind of like Thanksgiving. It gives us a day to just appreciate those loved ones in our life. Father, as we talk about what it is to love, though, it's hard. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to look at the positive instead of all the negative. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to work through issues. It's hard not to quit. It's hard. And yet, Father, that's the blessing. Everybody up on the screen that was married 25 plus years, the blessing of sticking with it, the blessing of working through the struggles is that we get a person we can live life with for the rest of our life until we're with you. We get a person that will be our encourager and our strength as we walk through life. We get a teammate to which makes life better. We get someone where we can experience what the ultimate love is on this earth. Father, when we incorporate that to friends, we also get people that will walk through life with us, that will be our rocks when hard things happen, that will too be our encouragers and our supports. Father, as you talk about the church, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a bunch of people caring for each other until we're in heaven. Father, help us be that church. Help us be that friend. And Lord, help us be those spouses. Give us the strength in your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.